The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. On the show this morning, we speak to a Roscommon-based artist to find out all there is to know about the centuries-old art form of tapestry. From Stoke-on-Trent to Sweden, Japan to Mexico, Roisin Ledbetter of Jerpoint Glass Studio joins me to chat about the inspiration behind the striking glassware they create in Kilkenny. A DIY weekend, how to jazz up your bedroom in just 48 hours. And Jennifer Sheehan will join me to discuss what does and doesn't work when incorporating gold and silver into our home. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, we're also on podcasts, so you can listen live or listen back to that and all of our podcasts on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, um, it struck me, this whole week seems to have been a conversation about masks and what we're doing with them and what we're not doing with them and all that. And I thought I'd just get a kind of a conversation going about where we stand now and the whole mask wearing things because it seems like we've been wearing them forever. But actually, it's not much more than a year since they became mandatory. And look, undoubtedly, they protected us Um against COVID and protected other people against it as well. Sales of lipstick plummeted. We all had the experience of the pocket patch shuffle every time you walked into a building. Uh, and on the home show, we had artists and designers who made or incorporated, incorporated masks into their style. So we've looked at it pretty much from every single angle. But on the downside, I, I don't know, I think we lost a bit of the recognition, the joy of just watching somebody laugh. Um, you know, it's been very, very difficult. I know for the hard of hearing, for instance, um, who, who can't lip read because you're wearing a mask. And the waste and the impact, any time I saw one discarded by the side of the road or dropped out of a pocket, it's just awful. So where will you go now as they are being phased out over the next while? Will you continue to wear it when you're told? Will you wear it anyway, even though you haven't been told? Or will you just be chucking them all in the bin and saying good riddance to all of that? Let me know, 53106. Uh, email us at com, And you're very welcome along this morning. Now, let's get started on our 48-hour revamp, which I know many listeners are enjoying each week. And today we're looking at smartening up the bedroom with a few jobs that can be done over the course of this weekend and won't break the bank. So Neve Marr, Head of Content at Her.ie, is joining me now to chat about how we can jazz up the bedroom in double quick time. Is your bedroom very jazzy, Neve? Um, It's not jazzy, no, but I know exactly <laughs> what to do to make it jazzy. So that makes everything worthwhile. Okay, yeah. you're, you're in your new house now. Yes, I am. I'm in my new house and it's actually interesting because I am trying to focus on smaller projects that I can do over a weekend. Mm. You know, I work full time it's almost about trying to find the time to actually work on those little areas and the bedroom in particular is so important to everybody who is in a home you don't have to own the home it can be your apartment but I just feel like there's always so much going on the bedroom needs to be 
your sanctity. It needs to be a special place that you can go. So I love the idea of giving it a revamp. And there's very simple things that you can do that won't break the bank that can really, really spice up the space. Spicy. Spicy for <laughs> Spicy the bedroom. Bedroom. Spicy. We are all for that in the home show. All right. So let's start with, what do you want to start with? Headboards? Yeah, we're going to start with headboards. Okay. So a very simple thing to do. And if you want to look at the reasoning behind why headboards are so important, actually, if you were to look at feng shui, it means that you have a mountain of support behind you and that you're safe and secure in your bedroom, not to get too, you know, logistical about it. But it's very important to have a headboard on a bed, I think. I'm a big fan. Okay. And um, what, what kind of thing now do you like? Because people, you know, either love this big uh, buttoned kind of velvet oh, headboard yeah, yeah. or the kind of the French ones with, you know, painting and trompe on them. What what? Well, is, that's is it. I mean, there's so many different styles that you can do. But I think if you have a very basic generic headboard, a good thing to do is just update it. So you can paint the existing headboard that you have yourself. This is really simple to do. Most bed frames, you can take the headboard off quite easily. You just have to prime, sand it and paint it and it will completely transform the room. If you don't have a big velvet headboard like that, or if you're wanting to do something with the headboard space behind the bed, it's really simple to paint something on the wall that actually acts like a headboard but isn't changing anything to do with the bed and you don't have to take anything apart. Oh, clever. So, okay, so yeah. a kind of a pretendy headboard. Exactly. A pretendy headboard can be the way to go. That's not to say that you don't have a headboard attached to your bed, but by simply painting an arch over the bed, you're completely transforming the space. You're anchoring the bed as well. And the minute you walk in, you'll see it and you'll just go, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, you can also get decals a too. Little, a little hug a hug in the bed. Exactly. Uh, or Gary Cohen, who's a, who's a popular guest on the show, um, he always says you, your, your alcove, your bedroom where you sleep should hug you uh, so decals what are they now so decals are basically fancy stickers I mean that's literally what they mm. are but you can buy them that are uh, they're specifically designed to stay on the wall so they're they're not going to peel off they're going to be they kind of range and you can get them on Amazon I actually found a really nice dusty pink arch that kind of looks like the sun setting on Etsy you can get a sample for 10 euro and they range depending on the size of the bed from 40 euro up to about 110 euro just to get kind of the good quality decals because you don't want to peel off and looking like that but it's basically just a big sticker you can use it in a child's bedroom as well and okay so you don't need like a, a wallpapering experience no. or anything to use these absolutely okay. not no they're well, a big that's sticker. a great change you know Straight how to peel there. and stick then you're grand and you'll completely transform the room and you can choose the colors as well so it really brightens up the space okay. too great idea and actually you can let the kids loose then on their own couldn't you if you can <laughs> if you can bear to let yeah. them on it. okay all right now seating areas now i love the idea and unfortunately i don't have room for it of kind of a chaise long at the bottom of the bed yeah. you know but i'm always afraid it'll just become a repository for clothes you know or or rubbish that gets dumped on i it. think we have to be realistic and know that that will probably happen <laughs> to every normal person but you can always take the clothes off if you want to take a nice picture of it as well so we have to be realistic about that i love seating areas in bedrooms i th- it was something that when i was growing up i always thought that it was you know only if you have a massive space that you can have a separate functioning space There's within your bedroom. There's something decadent about it, there isn't is, there? There is, but the thing that's great about it is that you can actually do it in the smallest nook of your bedroom. You can put a chair, an armchair, even a poof. I got a poof for €79 Euro on Zara and I've got a little lamp over it. It's got a little pocket for a book and it's a little reading area within ah, my bedroom now. So, I mean, cool. you can really use a seating area and it doesn't have to be. If you want to shay long at the end of your bed, get a bench. It will still bring in that beautiful deck 
decadence. It'll have some storage underneath it as well. And it's a seating area there built in right at the foot of your bed. It doesn't take up that much space as well, but it's really important. Yeah. And and you're right. You can use it for other things, you know, put in shoes or, or your winter duvet or whatever it is in that. OK. Uh, now, I know, and I know that um, you even you have a it was the bean bag the one you were that you was were the, coming to me the that's poof, the, big the bean poof. bag it's, yeah yeah it's massive it, but it, it it's is gorgeous pretty, it's pretty big but at the same time because it's lower it has a lower sense of gravity so it doesn't feel like it's taking up a huge amount of space as well if you do have the space for it I would put a sofa at the end of the bed if yeah, I had the space yeah. for it a little love seat you know with with two little stools at the end of it it's fantastic I love the idea of having a bedroom that is multifunctional so any type of differentiation you can bring into your bed and mm. the place that you're seating mm. even if you only have a small amount of room beside your bed you can put a chair next to a bookshelf and instantly you have an area that is zoned off for reading and just separate to the sleeping aspect of the bedroom which is great indeed now lighting is probably I think more important in a bedroom than practically anywhere else in the house because the last thing you want is to turn on your lights and your fluorescent glaze of LED is over your head but but yes you need lighting for makeup you want to be able to look open your wardrobe and see what's in it so you have to have that kind of different levels or, or layers of lighting absolutely there's not there's nothing worse you're so right than walking into a bedroom and wanting to leave because you've been blinded I mean that's the <laughs> that's the whole point you want it to be a soft glow now people have different lighting tastes as well which is which is perfectly fine but I like to think about it if you're going into your bedroom and you want to do something to revamp your bedroom in a weekend fake it till you make it so fake sconces are something that I've become very passionate about fake sconces fake sconces they're not real we're faking it Sinead which is just makes oh, everything better so we don't get the light but we get the sconce on the wall and it looks as if you've gone to a huge amount of exactly effort. because okay. nobody can deal with electrics I can't deal with electrics I don't have the time to be dealing with getting an electric and electrical person in either at the weekends so this is a great one I actually saw it with um, Nesting with Grace is the name of the blogger who talk about this first and it completely blew up everybody does it now so basically you get a puck light you know those little puck lights LED battery controlled remote uh, operated light you get whatever sconce you want you mount it to the wall take all the electrical work out at the back mount it to the wall you stick the puck light into it and you have a light there fantastic I mean what are you going to do it's fantastic <laughs> it's, it's glorious you, do that? It literally, you could do it in a weekend now of course you do have to mount it so that it's accurate a few things you have to make sure it's not going to provide all the light that you need for the entire no, but isn't it the suggestion of light? Yeah. Isn't it the notion of light? You're exactly. going to have other lights. It's just that it gives you that idea, that warm glow. Yeah, and you're you think faking it should it. be. You see those bedrooms on Instagram that have those beautiful metal sconces on the side of the wall, but you're not necessarily thinking about, well, what about the socket that's underneath it? Am I going to be and able the, to do the, the electrics? wires and exactly. on the leads and, and all drilling. That you could do this with, a, with a, a command strip, a puck light, a remote control, and you've got a fancy bedroom. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. Now, what is the story with plants in bedrooms? I'm, I know they're absolutely brilliant and all the carbon dioxide, the oxygen and all that kind of stuff. I'm never really quite sure whether you're supposed to have them in a bedroom yeah. or not supposed to have them in a bedroom. Well, you know, that's, that's kind of to everybody's taste. You are if you want to feel like you're connected with nature and it's the biophilic design and I'm going to actually quote exactly what this is because I don't want anybody coming for biophilic me. Biophilic so. design, well we learn something new on the show every week. Biophilic design is a concept used within the building industry to increase occupant connectivity to the natural world. So basically this just means get plants in your bedroom. But I wrote a piece for her, Dalai, there during the third lockdown which was basically how I can get plants in my bedroom without killing them because I have to confess that I am a plant murderer. Indeed. They all 
die. Always a worry. Try my best, but actually there are some really low maintenance plants that you can bring into the bedroom that don't need a lot of sunlight, that don't need a lot of water. They actually prefer you to leave them alone. Mm. So these mm. are the kind of plants that I want in my life and you can also incorporate them as a hanging feature as well, which are brilliant. So I'll run through a couple of them. Do- Succulents is one of the best ones. These are basically a oh, no-brainer. They're the, like the yuccas. Exactly. You know, the, with the, or the aloes. They don't want anything to do with Gorgeous. you. They want you to leave them alone, yeah. but they're beautiful. They're sometimes considered to be ornamental plants mm. because they actually take absolutely no maintenance whatsoever, which is fantastic. Uh, Apothos is actually nicknamed the devil's ivy. So this is, it's a trailing vine and it's known for its ability to thrive in almost pitch black conditions and can withstand overwatering as well as underwatering. So uh, like a hanging basket in the bedroom. Exactly. Who yeah. knew? Yeah, and so, I mean, it's great. looks fantastic. And again, absolutely no maintenance. And then um, I'm going to pronounce this probably incorrectly. But anyway, Azamia colcus, which is also commonly known as a ZZ plant. Now, we're kind of being a bit cheeky here because this is basically another succulent. But either way, uh, it has its origins in Africa and it's very used to desert heat and can survive for long periods of time without water. So basically, I was looking for plants that I don't need to water. Mm. And then you're on to a winner. So do a little bit of research. Perfect. Low maintenance, ones that, you know, it's the Irish weather as well. They're not going to get a huge huge amount of sun either mm. but bringing them into the bedroom I mean it kind of makes you feel one like you're a good functioning human because you can keep plants alive but also <laughs> get some fake plants in Ikea as well does the job perfectly Perfect. Alright Neve Marr head of content at her.ie thank you uh, for bringing us our 48 hour makeover in the bedroom now folks no excuse uh, Neve. thanks a million for joining Thanks Sinead Still to come on the home show Patience is a virtue Francis Crowe will be here to chat about the painstaking process of tapestry making and the centuries-old art form of fibre craft. Join me back here in the Home Show here on News Talk in just a few. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. At the top of the show, we had Neve Marr in from her.ie giving us the 48-hour revamp this week for your bedroom. If you missed that, you can catch it on the podcast, uh, the Home Show on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, tapestry is one of the oldest forms of woven textile crafts. And when we think about it, our minds might hark back to medieval times, the likes of the Bayou Tapestry, if you've ever seen that on holidays, or hanging in some of the great houses of Europe. But the art form itself is still very much alive right here in Ireland. And to chat about the craft, I'm joined now by Frances Crow, tapestry artist based in Roscommon. Welcome along to the Home Show, Frances. Thank you, Sinead. Lovely to talk to you. And you too. Now, talk to me a little bit about tapestry making in general. How did you get started in this very ancient art form? Well, I first discovered tapestry weaving when I was in my student days at the National College of Art and Design, where I studied fine art painting. And once I learned basic techniques, I fell in love with the art form and really never changed my way of working since then. And that was many, many years ago. What is it about the medium that has captured your imagination? Because this is a very detailed, I mean, I know all art is detailed, but but you can't afford to be slapdash about tapestry, I wouldn't think. Not at all, because you you don't get the chance to redo it. You know, if it was a painting, I could paint over it, a drawing, I could rub it out. With a tapestry, you start at the bottom of the loom or the frame and you weave up to the top. And there is no chance of uh, changing your mind really halfway through. So the process has to be very well planned and organised before you start. 
in terms of the equipment that you use, you, you mentioned the loom there, but in terms of, uh, I mean, it doesn't sound as if technology has advanced the art to a large extent, or maybe it has. Is there anything that, that has changed since people did this maybe 100 years ago? No, everything is exactly the same. Still put on uh, by hand a warp, which is the cotton thread that runs vertically through the middle of the tapestry and weave across with the weft, usually in wool or cotton. And that's the exact same technique, as you said, hundreds of years ago. Some people have been using technology to do a different form of tapestry. But the one I do, the original handmade, is still the same as it was back hundreds of years. How did you find COVID lockdown? I'm thinking maybe yours is one of the art forms that actually was quite COVID friendly because it's, is it quite a solitary thing to do? Yeah, uh, that's it, exactly. I actually remember the date in March when Leo Varadkar announced the first lockdown. I had been very busy. Don't we all? (laughs) Yeah, and community-based projects and I was at home then in my studio and as the days and weeks went on, I just completely fell in love with that isolation, being alone and creating work, which as it happened, I created uh, four COVID tapestries during the lockdown, during the two years. So um, they're on my website if anybody wanted to see them. One of them was purchased by Galway Clinic. It's about frontline workers in healthcare. And the others are about the slow recovery of the pandemic and getting back to normality. So, yeah, it it suited me fine, to be honest, because it's such a slow process being alone in my studio and not being interrupted by other people yeah. coming because none of us could travel. Uh, it suited me perfectly. I know. And it's 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 actually kind of quite heartwarming to hear a good news story about somebody <laughs> yeah. stuck in COVID lockdown on their own in solitary confinement with you and your loom and your yarns uh, yeah. and being able to produce this really creative work. I, th- I, th- I don't know now, maybe it's just me. When you think of tapestry, you know, you're thinking of big kind of church scenes or landscapes or flowers done like that. But actually your art that you created during that period is extremely modern. You mentioned there the frontline workers, but actually I was caught by the images, by the the art you've created around climate, around refugees, around around stress, I think, around the changing planet. Yeah, that's right, uh, Sinead. I think um, I, I... kind of had a, a bit of an awakening, I suppose you could say, in around 2016, when because tapestry takes so long, I kind of talked to myself and decided this needs to be about something. It has to be making a statement about, you know, politics or the state of the planet or things that affect me on the news. And I got the opportunity to work with some of the Syrian refugees in the Balahadreen um, Centre um, and getting to know the ladies there and teaching them how to weave I began to compare their journey across the Mediterranean Sea to arrive in Ireland with the journey of the uh, Roscommon famine victims who were forced from their lands during 1840s and their walk along the Royal Canal to the coffin ships. So I made a tapestry about that story. And really since that time in 2016, I've never looked back. All of my work is about something to do with politics, climate change, or uh, family separation. I have a piece called Torn Apart. I've seen that. And actually, that, that seems to be... Is that two separate tapestries, literally torn apart? Or, or is, it, is it one that's joined? It's just... Yeah, it, it, 
it's it's both. It's I wove it to look as if it's been torn yeah, apart. Yeah. So it's connected by the threads that run through the center of it. So my point there is that family ties, the ties that bind us, are really strong, even though they're very fragile at the same time. So that piece can be hung as an installation work or as a wall hanging. How long does it take to create a piece from from when you vision what it would look like to actually the finished product, Francis? Um, It's a very long process, as I said. So uh, for me, the thoughts around uh, the work can take weeks. Then the drawing and the sketching out of it and the designing, the enlargement of the tapestry, that's all weeks work before you actually Mm -hmm. sit in front of the loom. So I've worked it out that it takes me about six to eight weeks to weave one metre by one metre square. Gosh, that's a lot of dedication, <laughs> isn't it? It's it would... kind of crazy, really, when I say it. It's well, hard to believe. Do you I know, do it. it's a funny thing because last summer we did a roadshow down uh, to uh, a knitting workshop and um, I, I kind of got the same sense of, I don't know, peacefulness, calmness, that it's like nearly like a zone that you get yeah. your head into. Is that Would that be oh, fair? Oh, it certainly is. I mean, because I've been doing it for so long now, 35 years, uh, my hands know what to do. (laughs) You know, they engage with the brain and they just do it. Uh, So while I'm sitting in front of my, I normally work on an upright frame where I can see the entire image as I'm weaving. Mm. I'm completely lost between the warp, the weft, the weave, the interaction between the work and my brain, you know, and the story I want to tell. So what are you working on now? Uh, The current work, which I will have two pieces made in time for the exhibition I'm curating in Roscommon during the Tapestry and Fibre Art Festival, April 28th to May 1st, is based on climate change. So the work, the first one that I've completed is um, one metre by one metre. And as I said, it's part of a six panel piece. It's about uh, coastal erosion and weather warnings. Mm. You know, the way we're getting all these wind warnings now. Indeed, and so that's and extremely that's topical. Ireland. I mean, other <laughs> countries are yeah, having yeah. desperate floods and so on. So that's what that work is about. But you wouldn't know it by looking at it because it's abstracted a bit and there's yeah, a lot of colour. Yeah. All right. Well, Francis, it's been a delight to talk to you and learn a little bit more about tapestry. Where can people find out more about you and have a look at some of your work? Well, you can go to my website, franciscrow.com. And um, this Fibre Art Festival in Roscommon would be a place to come to if you're interested in tapestry. Wonderful. And that's at the end of April. Frances Crowe, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thank you very much, Sinead. Lovely talking to you. Now, if you've ever had the privilege of witnessing at first hand the making of hot blown glass, it truly is something to behold. We've a rich history of the craft here, of course, in Ireland. And one family is certainly doing its part in helping to keep that tradition alive. Roisin Ledbetter, designer at Jurpoint Glass Studio, joins me now. Uh, Good morning, Roisin. You're welcome along to the show. Good morning, Sinead. Now, you, this is very, very much a family business. You literally grew up in it. Tell us a little oh, yeah. bit about how you got started. Okay, so my mum and dad set up Jerpoint Glass back in 1979. My dad actually was born in Stoke-on-Trent, but 
I think it was in about his early 20s, he got the opportunity to go to Auraforce, which is a very prestigious school of glassmaking in Sweden. And he spent a couple of years there. And then he came to Ireland and he met my mum, who was also a very artistic person. And shortly afterwards, they started Jerpoint Glass together. Now, you were talking there about the Scandinavian, you know, your your dad going going to college in Scandinavia. And, and those design aesthetics are very clear to us. We're used to seeing very, very simple lines and um, straightforward products, really good quality. But a lot of the products you're, uh, you have now in your collection are very, very vibrant and colourful. So where does that inspiration come from? You, you work in the business with your siblings, is that right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And my husband and my son and my mum as well. Wow. OK, <laughs> so there's, there's lots yeah, of yeah. you. All right. So so talk to me about how yeah. how that works then. Well, I mean, like the Scandinavian design, like I would say that I mean, that was definitely the really important to my dad. And that was where all of his design inspiration came from. But like, I really believe that we haven't moved too far from that. Like the colours that we're using, which I'll tell you about in a minute, are very, very exciting. Mm. But like we still, I think, are very true to the simple and the functional. Like our lines are very clean and straight. Like if you compare us to, we'll say, some of the crystals or some of the really ornate things that are made in the rest of Europe. Mm. Like we, we do very simple functional shapes still. We've just added this element of exciting colour at the moment. Indeed, because the Jerpoint collection wouldn't have the kind of traditional carved crystal that you'd see maybe from Waterford or Cavan or Dublin Crystal or places like that. It's much more about, I, I don't know, maybe more modern. Would that be a good starting point for it? And of course, the I mean, colour like adds to, something. I like to think so, yeah. Like if everything is shaped, you know, it's all about the shape for us because everything is shaped by hand with very, very simple tools, you know, so it's all finished completely by hand, which is something that I think we're the only people doing that. Talk to me a little bit about the process of making glass. Now, I understand your brother is the head glass blower. That sounds to me like a dangerous business. <laughs> well, it's very, it's very exciting. Like you have to come down and see it being done sometime. Like our studio is open to the public so people can come in and watch. And it is fascinating to see you know, this furnace full of molten glass and they dip in and they pull out this hot glowing blob. And within like 10 minutes, they've formed it into this beautiful shape, this beautiful, delicate shape. It really is like a... That's the thing about coat. it is, because unlike pottery, which, uh, you know, in a skilled, in skilled hands can be also quite fast, but glass blowing is almost instantaneous, isn't it? When it, when it comes out of that pipe and, and you can just see it taking shape in front of your eyes, you have to work fairly quickly with it. Uh, that's it. And all of the time, it's like honey, you know, it's it's melting all of the time. They have to constantly spin it round and round to stop it just falling onto the floor while they're shaping. it. And then like at the end, like after the 10 minutes, that's it. It goes into a layer to slowly cool, cool down overnight. And that's it, which is fun when you're designing something because, you know, it's quick. You have a result the next day and you can see like what needs to be tweaked or changed or how do you add colour then, the vibrant colours that you have to it? What, what does that process involve? So the, the colour, um, like we buy the colour from different companies and it, it comes as little, it's powdered glass or it's little chips of glass that's already coloured. So while the um, blob is like molten hot, before they start to shape it, they dip it into the tray of colour and then it instantly starts to melt. And with their tools, like they kind of pull little shapes or they just blow air into it and it spreads out. I mean, a lot of it is just the form that the glass will take itself. Now, you have, um, I was surprised to find that you have a collection of garden ornaments, orbs and um, kind of uh, 
jars, I suppose you'd call them, or or obelisks. Uh, glass in the garden is is that not a bit tricky? Um, we don't find so. <laughs> We've got like four dogs and several grandchildren running around. They're, very, they're sturdy they're, pieces, they're really, is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, talk That's to me. It, yeah, you know, it doesn't chip as easily as something like ceramics, you know. I mean, it's, obviously, if you drop it on the floor, it's going to break, but it's quite a strong material. You know? These orbs that you do, they're absolutely beautiful. They're just an explosion of colour in glass. Um, yeah. So how do people u- utilise those? What kind of customers buy those from you? Oh, everybody. They're very popular. And as soon as the spring arrives, they just start to fly out the door. We've got both the spirals and they go high up. They go on kind of spikes. You know, they they can go straight into the ground or they can go in flower pots. And they're just a lovely blast of colour, you know, throughout the year. Indeed. And then the orbs, they sit low down like they're kind of designed to sit down into a flower pot. Yeah, they're very, very unusual. I I think they're absolutely beautiful, Mm -hmm. I I must say. Uh, Now, you'll be taking part in the Made in Ireland exhibition this year. Uh, Just remind us when that is on. Oh, that's um, on at the moment in Kilkenny. And it's an absolutely stunning exhibition of craft work. It really is. I've been about times already and I'll go again. (laughs) And I think it's running. It was from November until... I think it's the 19th of March, it's finishing there and then it's moving to Farmley House. In the Phoenix Park. for July, I think. But yeah, we have our bold jugs in there, which are our new really, really vibrant. They are. They're collection. actually, they're, they're, they are very bad. But there's a kickback to that um, traditional, when people think of the jar point, that kind of dark green glass and that very solid uh, piece uh, in those jugs. But they are very, very colourful. They've been proved really popular. I mean, a lot of people have seen them in that exhibition and come straight out for them. They're they're very quirky. Lovely now for all the picnics in the nice weather that we hope we are going to have when all of these storms pass over Ireland. Uh, Roisin Ledbetter, uh, continued success at at Ger Point. And uh, folks, if you do get the chance, if you're in Kilkenny at all this year, it's worth dropping in just to see uh, what they are all doing there. Uh, thanks a million for joining us on the Home Show today. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Now, after the break, Jennifer Sheehan will be joining me to chat about how to tastefully incorporate gold and silver into your home decor. So pop the kettle on, Joey, back here in the Home Show on News Talk in just a few moments. You're very welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan and with me, of course, is the wonderful Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner and friend of the Home Show. Now, Jennifer, Goldfinger. You can't go wrong with it, really, can't you? No, gold everywhere. I love gold. We are talking all things metallic uh, on the show today and uh, the use of gold and silver and what works and what doesn't work and when is too much, too much. This, I love this. I love um, metal in the home. I, I really, really do. Yeah. And um, But there's actually never been a time in design history when metal didn't feature. Metal is always in. Even, you know, through the ages we have these massive like gilded halls or Versailles. Then we have everything through to kind of like just wrought iron, you know, and, and even stoves. Stoves are metal when you think about it. So there's a massive array of types of styles of ways to bring it in. I think it's kind of hard to go wrong. Indeed. Now, well, you can go wrong because, <laughs> because <laughs> it's all a matter of taste, much of anything, uh, and all that kind of like it is a very, very cold and hard, it's hard. surface, and you know you have to be a little bit careful with it. Um, so, but you can date a home really from you can. from the metal. You can. So bring us back through the the history of metal. Now, of course, I'm thinking Palace of Versailles and 19th century. 
paintings covered in frames. But even in this century, it's uh, been yes. a bit haphazard. I wasn't around then, Sinead, so I can't speak to that. <laughs> funny girl, funny but, girl. But uh, recent history, so you're right, you can date it. And I think it can look a bit cold and severe and like, oh God, if you slip and trip in this house, I'm going to kill myself because I'll bang my head and blah, blah, blah. So I think we made that mistake in kind of the 70s and 80s. Gold was massive. But it was that shiny, polished, a little bit tacky looking, I'm just going to come out and say it, kind of gold colour. And I didn't love it. Um, And so you can see that when you go back and you have that look. Now, I love a lot of things about the 70s and 80s, but didn't love that. Then we went into the kind of 90s, 2000s and we had that Celtic Tiger era and it was just chrome everywhere oh, the they couldn't get bells. enough I know yeah. and you can you, you, the smoked glass coffee table Ugh. with the chrome sorry they had their moment everybody seemed to have I'm them. sure I would have had it back then and if the, I had a house black but black leather chair wasn't it considered like the yuppie executive kind yeah. of chair to have all that the chrome legs and everything on it black leather Not chair with chrome a legs moment in time alright so nowadays then um, how is it best worked because you know, you, you don't chuck it around everywhere, really. Yeah. So we've learned our lesson. And what seems to be really popular at the moment, and I have a lot of it, is that nice, soft, brushed brass, brushed gold, even a very soft kind of champagne silver colour okay. is really popular at the moment. You see it everywhere. And I think it works so well in houses because you can accent it everywhere throughout and it can form a real nice framework almost for the basis of your design of your house mm. and something kind of solid to anchor everything in. Beautiful. So when it comes then to pieces of furniture, are we looking at little table lamps? Um, are we looking at frames? Or, yeah. Or even light switches? And Does that all kind of yeah. add to that aesthetic? I'm not a massive fan of those metal light switches. Mm. I think I'm afraid that they'll electrocute me. That can't be right. I mean, surely they don't. But I I'm just fairly confident. Fairly confident they are being made now that probably I don't won't like electrocute <laughs> But it is a Marmite thing because lots of people don't like the metal. I actually quite like them when it's mm. a dull, not that shiny kind of yeah. colour, but a brushed kind of thing. Um, as opposed to just that plastic switch. I have plastic because I just wanted to merge in with yeah, the rest of my yeah. wall, but it can be a really nice way to stand out. So you can get colours as well, not to mind just metals, but yeah, there can be really, really nice, you know, very, very soft at the ones. Is there a the danger accents. in clashing different metals? I, so I think this is another Marmite thing. I mean, are you the kind of person who likes wearing a silver necklace with a gold pendant on it or oh, silver no, and gold, you know, platinum no. and gold rings together? You need together? an established personality now for that class of thing. I think people can pull it off. So I don't, I actually am going to say there's no right or wrong here. And I usually come down quite hard on one side or the other. You but there's usually no give right us the rules. Wrong. You <laughs> tell us what to do. <laughs> what, what I think is that it's probably fine to mix metals. But what I would say is keep it consistent across the theme. So for example, your door handles, your hinges, your cabinet handles, you know, that type of a, 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 a grouping, I would keep all those very similar. Okay. But then no harm having maybe some silver candlesticks thrown into that or maybe a slightly different, you know, a copper light fitting or something like that. So I think mixing it up in that way is fine. But I would keep it dominant. So your your overall kind of dominant metal colour should probably match what's going on in your house. Mm. So you have your warm metals, which are super hot right now, uh, like your brushed brass and your yeah. nice gold accents and your coppers. And they go great with warmer colours in the house. So really like rich greens, nice yellows, warmer woods. And actually with fabric, it softens the metal somewhat. So I'm totally. thinking, you know, a lovely velvet cushion sitting oh. beside a metal table or, you know, yeah. these, a dark jade green or a midnight blue or something. It has the effect of just making the gold or silver more luscious mm. you know doesn't Beautiful. it and even even some stones like marble is a lovely soft 
stone with a nice soft tone to it. That goes beautifully with gold, with that nice brushed gold. You do see that a lot, table. actually. A little marble table with the with the gold rim around it or something. Beautiful. Okay, all right. Now, um, so so that's a kind of you being used as a supporting kind of actor in, yes. in the part of the sitting room rather than the main the main event. You want to see it and have the light glint off it, but you don't want it to be all you can see. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you love <laughs> metal. Maybe you want metal absolutely everywhere. And if you do, here are some options that I think could work. If you're right. this You've kind been of person, shopping. Tell I've been us shopping. I've been shopping. Okay. I the nicest thing I found if you if you're someone who wants just, you know, to use metal as a big, bold, dramatic splash and you're fine with light reflecting off every surface and it's all a bit hall of mirrors, then I think one of the nicest things you can get is a big copper bathtub in your bathroom. They wow. are yeah. so stunning and they're actually more effective because they retain heat better. Than your ceramic bottom. Now up, you're apparently. not going to <clears throat> burn your bottom in a copper tub. You might burn your. I mean, well, I'm not going to get hot about that. Water, you're worried about being electrocuted <laughs> with the light switch. I'd be getting into a copper bath, thinking, "Am I going to get out of this in one piece?" I have to question some beliefs that I'm holding, <laughs> but it's not going to get hotter than the water, is it? So you're not okay. going to, you're not going. Well, the I water don't know. isn't burning you. Metal attracting heat and all that. I'm thinking of the kettle <laughs> for a start. So, what bathtub are you thinking of now? Because you, you found one, a mm. fabulous one in deluxebathrooms.ie. Now okay. we're looking at about four and a half grand. Ah, here, one. but there's. They're stunning. Installation art. It's an installation. You know what? You'd have to bring every single visitor to your house into your bathroom to have a look at that, (laughs) wouldn't you? Right, okay. Anything uh, a little less uh, on the budgetary side. How do you feel about bathrooms (laughs) in the kitchen? Um, Okay, the other one, I've seen this so many times and every time I see it in a friend's house or somewhere, I always stop and I go, oh my God, that's gorgeous. And then I remember that. I've seen that before. And that is the Paul Costello mirror in Duns. I would say people listening probably have seen it before even if you haven't noticed it um, or you haven't remembered it it's less than 300 quid which is not bad and it's Mm. this gigantic gilded framed mirror it's a standing mirror really it's a standing mirror my friend Joanne is listening she's got one in her house and I I adore it you have one absolutely I have it in my hall and I love it and do you know what's really lovely about it you can really kind of it's very dramatic yes Mm. it is but also you can put kind of a plant beside it or glass um, uh, flower jars uh, uh, vases and actually the whole thing just sparkles yeah it's stunning and it comes in two shades so there's that if you want if you're you know, leaning towards those more goldy accents, it yeah. has that gold, gold frame. Yeah. Or it has that nice paired back kind of champagne silver yeah. frame as yeah. well. Depending beautiful, on what you're going beautiful. For. Okay. Now, some other ideas. If, if you can't go the full hog with the old the old metal, you have <laughs> fake metal, you have met metallic wallpaper. Yeah, I have this in my upstairs bathroom. So Divine Savages, I call them out left, right and centre because I love them. We have featured them before. They're, They're a bit, ba- bit bonkers now. They're Maybe a, a feature wall, folks. <laughs> you know, it's but absolutely wall. gorgeous stuff. They have a metallic range. So if you just go onto their website or their Instagram and look up metallics, they have it. Or on my Instagram, my upstairs bathroom is is a copper metallic gold paper. And I love it. It really reflects light back from the wall. Mm. It's, you know, it's it's subtle. It's soft. It's not in your face, but it's it's a really nice way to bring it in. I think okay, it's very cool. Brilliant. Anything else? Tiles. So oh, this really? again, depending on how far you want to go, because you can put in, you know, a small little like tile accents or use them in a small space or you could do your entire kitchen wall or Go floor tiles. or whatever That's metallic very, uh... tiles <laughs> okay. I came across a really really cool designer um, his name is Kareem Rashid and he designed these for a company called Alloy and I've seen 
whole rooms done in it. I feel like if you're going to go for it, go whole hog. I think it could look really, really cool in definitely a kitchen backsplash. Right. For sure. It's not like all a bit Kim Kardashian or anything. <laughs> Can you? No. That depends on the rest of your house. Now you, okay. you, need to, you need to be careful with these things. You do. You do. All right. Okay. Listen, great uh, op- objects there and great suggestions uh, with the metal. Tell us what you think, folks. Silver, gold, copper, bronze. What floats your metallic boat uh, FI3106 if you want to get in touch with us uh, now the other thing uh, we wanted to look at uh, this week Jennifer is um, I'm calling it transformer furniture okay but lest anybody think this is about toys <laughs> for kids that morph into monsters coming alive we're not talking about that we are talking because we are a big fan of repurposing and multitasking on the home show that's what we're talking about this here. is my favourite topic I am upset like furniture that has more than one use anything in this world well, that has more than one in use in your gorgeous Obsessed. but tiny house that must be important yeah I love it and we've spoken briefly about it before about you know having an ottoman that has storage underneath it my bookshelves are on the back of my kitchen island I just I love when something can be dual mm. purpose and dual usage and it's really important if you're designing a really small space you're not going to have too many rooms and you don't want to have one room you know for example completely given over to be to being a dining room if the you don't use it room, that often. and you're the using good it room. every yeah, you're not using it more so than rearranging once or twice a year genius okay so what have you come up with us now the first one is um, now I actually I saw this picture right and I had to look at it a few times to work out what it was to me it looks like a bookcase with with some of the shelves coloured yeah now, but this actually, is be hard to it's describe. like one of those. Um, do you know when you when you look at those uh, drawings that you think is a pair of glasses, and it turns out to be two faces oh, facing yeah. each other? It's a bit of that. It about does look it. a bit like that. So to describe this now. I'm going to let you. Just okay, I'm going to do my absolute best here. So first of all, if 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 nobody is picking up what I'm putting down here, go onto uh, a website of an Irish designer. Her name is Orla Reynolds. OrlaReynolds.com, and okay. she has this series of furniture called As If From Nowhere, which is a great name because. The furniture. Anyway, you'll understand when I describe it. So what you're looking at is a very basic bookshelf of squares, right? Yep. So just, you know, normal squares white. on top of yep. squares, white. Um, and what she has done is in between, she has made a little gap so that she can slot furniture into it. So if you think of the shape of a chair, there's a straight back, there's a straight uh, seat and there's a straight leg in front. So it's all 90 degree angles. And you're able to lift up this chair and slot it back in between the squares of the bookshelf. So actually, even if you're using it as a bookshelf, it's not like you have to take everything out no. to take down your chairs and table. They're integrated into it. You leave all your stuff in the So when it's all back against the wall, it looks like a bookshelf with all your little trinkets and books and everything on it. But the furniture just slides it out just from slides it. Out. It's extraordinary it's piece. It's fabulous. When you think about it's it. fabulous. So okay. she has managed into a normal, you know, a normal sized bookshelf. She has managed to fit in two chairs or four chairs, four chairs and two tables. So you could have a full dining set in a space that is otherwise clear and free of furniture and put it away literally invisibly. I just think brilliant, it's genius. Brilliant. Okay, so have a look at that. OrlaReynolds.com. I really, really love that. Very, very unusual. I can't, I've no spatial skills. So <laughs> I find it difficult getting into a parking spot. So I couldn't imagine that if my life depended <laughs> on it. It took a lot of brain power to design this. Now, I can imagine. something that has been around for a very, very long time, especially in Ireland, it's a very traditional piece of furniture in the old thatched cottages, is the Murphy bed. And did they get a bad rap? They kind of got a bit well, of. A I think bad it was rap. just associated with with poverty and yeah. poor people and trying to make do and mend and and not being able to afford a bed and a sofa. Yeah, but they're making a comeback. So here's what I love about them. Right, if you're using a spare room, uh, 
as something else and you want, you know, that's where you want to have your spare bed. You don't always want a sofa in there when the bed is not in there. So sofa beds are great and they're very useful and I have one and it's really clever and that's all brilliant. But what if you don't want a sofa in that room, you know, throughout the course of its regular usage Mm. and when you don't have guests over. So Murphy beds have gotten really clever with what they put on the back while they're up against the wall. So just just describe to listeners what a Murphy bed is. So a Murphy bed is, it's a, it's, think about if you stand at the end of your bed and you pick it up by the end and you lift it and you put it flat up against, against the wall. Against the wall. Okay. That's a Murphy bed. So it actually goes up into flat, not unlike a sofa bed, which converts into a sofa, this goes flat up against the wall and you yeah. just pull it down when you need it exactly. for a bed. Okay. It looks a bit like a wardrobe when it's when it's flat up. Indeed. So what did you what did you find for us? Who's doing so that? This now? is genius. There's a company called BBT Furniture, bbtfurniture.ie. And they have wall beds with desks on the back of them when they're folded up. Brilliant. So it's a flip. How clever is that? So Fantastic. if it's your office, you know, you your normal day to day life, you're just sitting at your desk and your your bed is up there and you don't have and any floor space then taken up with the, and oops, with the sofa bed. Visitors arrive, great news, you pull it down. Clear it away and pull down the bed. Fantastic. Isn't that genius? Okay. I think that's so clever. And there's a bunk bed version of that. So this I also thought was so clever. Now I'm sure there might be sofa beds that pull out into bunk beds, but that sounds very specialist to me. But with the Murphy bed, because he put it up flat against the wall there's another company I found wallbeds.ie and they have instead of pulling down one big bed you kind of you know rotate down two smaller beds and there's one on top of the other and that's great for kids rooms you know if you if you have a spare playroom Excellent. for example and Excellent. kids staying over. Now the other types of furniture's uh, bed aside that transforms into other things you've come across. I've got loads. I love this stuff. A mirror <laughs> that becomes an ironing board talk to me about How that How clever is that? Okay so this isn't for me because I refuse to iron and I don't own an iron and it's not happening Quite but right. If you do own an iron, uh, where you put your ironing board in a small space Mm. is, you know, it takes up a huge amount of space. So this is a really, really clever one. I thought it was very clever. Designed by, I'm going to get her her name wrong here, but Aisa Logaro. Logaro. Um, She's the co-founder of the ACAL studio, if you want to look that up. And she designed a lovely looking ironing board. And when you just rotate it back up to vertical. I mean, it's the simplest of designs. And one side is a mirror and the other side is an ironing board. And the ironing board looks like an ironing board and the mirror looks like a mirror. It's so clever. Fantastic. It's so clever. Now, I had one when my kids were very, very small. I had a gorgeous little piece um, that I bought and I can't remember the designer's name. It was absolutely beautiful. And it was a little rocking chair. So so the baby sat in it and rocked forward and back. But then when you stood it on its legs upright, it was a high chair. And I had that for years and years through various babies and especially and kids you know their stuff takes up a lot of space so Julie says I know there's another and I, I don't have the name so I'm going to have to I don't know put it on Instagram or something later but there's another high chair that grows with your child do you know the one I'm talking about and it has all these different slots and it's a lovely wooden shape and so you don't have to throw out the high chair and then get the stool and then get the whatever. And you're just repurposing it as they grow it transforms transforms with it. All right. Well listen um, Jennifer thank you as always. You're a very enthusiastic shopper when we ask you to go out (laughs) on the home show. Anytime. And you always come in and give us lots and lots of ideas and and thank you very much. So pop some of those up and people can find you on Instagram. At Workers Cottage. At Workers Cottage uh, and you can have a look at all of that and that is all we have time for today. Uh, Jennifer Sheehan thank you very much for joining us again this week and uh, if you'd like to get involved in the show if you have a question topic you'd like to hear us cover 
like to send Jen out to the shops again let <laughs> us know what it is and you can drop us a text at 53106 for 30 cent email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com they will all get read uh, over the next day or two and we will take them on board and don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast on the News Talk website thanks to the production team uh, we've had a cast of thousands this week for various technical reasons but Gareth Hall, Simon Keane and Stephen McLoon was on sound up next Anton Savage he'll be kickstarting the weekend with the happy pair have a great weekend and remember we are here every Saturday at 8am. 